0: Got your Bible's turn. We're supposed to be in John 14, but I got 48 minutes. So let's go back to John chapter 13. Honestly, I want to start in 12, but we can't. You know, we're in the I am statements of Christ, the gospel of John. John's got a purpose for writing this gospel. The Holy Spirit has put it in him. To declare. Now John's the oldest disciple when he's writing this book. You know, John lived into his 90s. Most scholars, you know, most people were martyred. 30, 40 years, John's still alive. Peter's gone. James is gone. Paul's gone. John's still alive. He was exiled for a while. That's when God showed him the revelation of Jesus, uh, which he copied down for us. But after his exile, he actually went back to Ephesus and was an elder and leader in the church in Ephesus. And, and, And the Holy Spirit put on his heart to write a gospel that was different from Matthew's. Matthew's was written to the Jews. It was different from Mark's, who was Simon Peter's aminousis, his secretary. Why? Because Peter was a fisherman. He probably couldn't write. So he had needed Mark to write down his words for him. And and that had a specific message. And and, uh, Luke had a specific message showing Jesus as uh, Mark, showing Jesus as servant. Luke showing Jesus as the son of man, Human. John says we need a we, Holy Spirit through John says we need a gospel that shows the deity of Christ. And the Holy Spirit put in his memory all the times that Jesus made these statements saying, I am God, I am, I am. Uh, All the way back from Exodus chapter three, the first time God reveals his name to Moses, Jesus uses that same word, that same language to reveal who he is to us. This is big Jesus stuff. You know, we're in March now, but we still need a big Jesus, amen? We still need more of Jesus this year. Here's our context for our sixth I am statement. Today we're going to be talking about when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But there's a a lot of stuff that leads us up to the context of when Jesus speaks that into his people. In John chapter 12, and we're not going to read, just know all of John chapter 12, Jesus reveals and Just know this about G. He's always telling the disciples what's going to happen next. Why? Because he's God. He knows what's going to happen next. He reveals in John chapter 12 his death. He begins laying down the groundwork for his disciples to understand. Like a seed until it dies and is planted in the ground. It can't bear fruit. I too must be laid into the ground. But I will be lifted up. My work will bear fruit through my death. And burial, So this is, I mean, the disciples are trying to process this. That's bad news. Everything in chapter 12 and 13 is bad news before we get to our text for today, John chapter 14. Jesus predicts his death. Look with me in John chapter 13. They go to the, this Passover meal. Jesus predicts his death, and then they go into a room for Passover. And this is just a normal Passover meal in his disciples' mind. They've done this before. Depending on if you're a three Passover or a four, you know, Jesus' earthly ministry was three years. That could be four Passovers, depending on how you counted up when Jesus started. Uh, but three, four, whichever, whichever you choose. It doesn't matter. We don't know. <clears throat> but what they So they, this is something they do every year. All Jews do this every year. It was something way back from the Exodus. Do this every year. Bring your families together. This is just a normal Passover meal in the disciples' mind. And Jesus lays three bombs. He's already laid one bomb. Here's three more bombs in John chapter 13. After Jesus washes their feet, he throws down on them, beginning. Let's uh, begin in verse 21. Did I pray? We need to pray. And then we'll read John 13:21. I haven't been up here in two weeks. I'm ready, okay? I got a fire shut up in my bones. Lord Father, God in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. You are good and you are holy, and we do not deserve to open your word or be in your presence. But in Christ Jesus, you have made a way for us to sit here as saints, holy, separated unto you from the rest of the world. Lord Jesus, thank you for counting us in this number. Speak to our hearts now. Encourage us, as I know you will, through the statement of your son Jesus. It is in his name we pray this morning. Amen. After saying these things, again, Jesus just washed their feet. And he's already kind of thrown hints that there's a betrayer in the midst. But after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified. Now, underline that word, troubled. Because we're going to see that same word again in John chapter 14, verse 1, where Jesus tells us, let not your hearts be troubled. But here, Jesus' heart is troubled. There's a reason for that. Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Now, think about this. Passover meal... Although by this time in the first century, they had tables and chairs. Jesus was a carpenter. He was used to making tables. But Passover meal had adopted kind of Greek uh, Hellenistic culture uh, at the time. Even though Rome was the powerhouse, Greek influence in architecture, art, Poetry, right? Every Greeks kind of ruled the culture of the day. They won the culture war. So Passover meals were typically in Greek style, low table to the ground, couches all around, and everyone reclines. Usually sitting on, uh, laying on left hand while eating from the right. So all his disciples are laying around the table, and Jesus drops this bomb. One of you is going to betray me. These are The 12, each one hand-picked by Jesus to be his disciple. Think about the way. Think about if you, in your Thanksgiving family meal, are sitting around the table and you've got 25 people in your family and the, the the patriarch stands up or if he's dead, the matriarch of the family stands up and says, one of you will betray me. Everybody's going to be looking around going, what? How? Who would? No, we don't talk about Bruno, no, no, (laughs) no. That was off the cuff. You can tell I've got an 11-year-old daughter. When he was going to betray me, there is, right, all the air just got sucked out of the room. You know that moment when you get punched in the gut and the air is out of your lungs, and you're you're trying to. That's the that's this moment. First, this is only the first of three bombs Jesus lays on him. One of you is going to betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain. Who who's it going to be? Verse twenty three, one of the disciples whom Jesus loved. That's John, John the beloved. John spoke more about love in First John, Second John, third John, and any, so why he was called the Apostle of love. But he was also, at this time you know why, he lived longer than us? because he was the youngest disciple. At this time, which is why Jesus had this affinity for him, this this father-son. John was probably about 16 years old. You know, it averages, you know, scholars say from 14 to, to 17. But most scholars say uh, good at 16, probably 16 years old. He's, he's the youngest guy at the time. Everybody else is older. Everybody else, uh, you know, already uh, doing what they were doing. All right, some of them had family. We know Peter had a family. That's why Jesus is able to heal his mother-in-law. You can't have a mother-in-law without a wife. <laughs> John the youngest, so Jesus had this this fatherly love for John. John is sitting, honored place. He's sitting to the the left of, uh, to the right, I'm sorry, the right of Jesus. Jesus laying here, John laying here, which is why he's able to lean over on Jesus' breast. One of the disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So Simon Peter's at a different place in the table, and he's looking at John sitting next to Jesus going, ask him who? (laughs) Right? Because we're people. We want to know. We want to know things. That's why social media is so bad for us. We're not omniscient. We're not all-knowing. We're not God. We can't know everything, but we want to know everything. It's not Our brains can't handle it. That's why people are going crazy. I feel like there's a new mental condition that's observed every day. Why? Why, did they, why didn't they have these things 100 years ago? Because we were, we're on overload. Simon Peter's no different than any other human being that has ever lived. He wants to know. Hey, find out. You're next to him. Find out. So that disciple... Leaning back against Jesus, right, so he's right next to him at the table, leaned into his breast, one of the other gospels says. Leaning back against Jesus, he was able just to look up and whisper in his ear. Leaning back, he said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, after Judas took the morsel, Satan entered into him at the very moment. And Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now just picture this scene and immediately no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. So John leans in and says, who is it, Lord? And Jesus says to John, not everybody at the table hears. Jesus says, "It's, it's who I give this morsel of bread after dipped. So Judas is coming towards the bowl, and Jesus reaches out and dips and, and gives it to Judas. And then Satan enters Judas immediately, and Jesus says, John's just watching. He hears what Jesus says, and he's watching who's he gonna give the bread to. And then as soon as that transition happens, and this is important, we gotta read our Bibles carefully. As soon as it happens, Satan enters, and Jesus says, go do it quickly. Why? Because if be, all the disciples are, well, what's going on? Why did Jesus say that to Judas? Why is Judas leaving in such a hurry? Maybe, uh, maybe he's going to give alms to the poor. Maybe he's, he's, we need some more groceries for, for our, the feast. Why did all that happen so quickly? Because if, the, if Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me, and it's that guy, that dude would have never left the room alive. That would have been the beat down of the century. I mean, come on. He would have been hog strapped, tied. You're not going nowhere. We got Peter in the room. (laughs) All this was done in accordance to God's will. Even Satan entering Judas couldn't have happened until God's will allowed, until it was time. Even the forces of evil have to submit to God's will. Think about that. We know that from Job 1. All right, we know that from, from the entirety of Scripture. God is in complete control, and nothing happens until God says it's time for it to happen. So Judas goes off to betray. For 30, think about it, 30 pieces of silver. What? I mean, Benedict Arnold's a bad guy, but come on. A lot of people, when they say we talk about 30 pieces of silver, they they take today's silver price. They're like, "Oh, that's about you know 200 to 400, 500 dollars, maybe." No, no. In the ancient world, a round of so this would have been a Roman denarius. That's a full day's wage, right? If you go work for somebody that that needs work, and you from sun up you work all the way to dusk, you can expect one silver coin. Judas Iscariot. You'd think if you're going to betray Jesus, at least get a, a year's salary out of it. For one month's salary, Judas puts a knife in the king of kings' back. What people will do for a dollar. Verse thirty-one. Second bomb. First bomb, one of you is going to betray me. When he had gone out, Jesus said... Now is the Son of Man glorified. Son of Man, all the way back, nomenclature from uh, Daniel chapter 7, the Christ. Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will also glorify Him in Himself and glorify Him at once. And we're going to see all this play out as we read the end of the Gospel at Jesus' trial. His death, his burial, and his glorious resurrection. Jesus, humble in flesh,
1: but glorified
0: and changed the world as a result. It was the Father's will. Little children, he says. This is language that John later adopts in his pastoral books. Little children, Jesus said this first Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, bomb number two, where I am going, you cannot come. Now think about this. Jesus shows up on a beach while guys are out fishing with their father, doing what they do every day. And why are they out there fishing with their father? Because they're just good old hard-working blue-collar guys. You know, the Jews, they had three tiers of education system. Much, you know, our education system is adopted after that ancient Jewish. We have we have three tiers. We have elementary school, we have middle school, and we have high school. The Jews had three tiers, although they were a lot more stringent in their regulations. All young children went to first tier, but most of them never graduated. Only the best of the best went to the second tier. And then only the best of the best of that went to the third tier, and they usually became you know, part of, part of the, these big groups and political leaders. You know, Paul was one of those guys who made it through all three tiers and got tapped by Gamaliel to be trained as a Pharisee and as a legal expert in the law, a rabbi, a teacher. A hundred years ago, you know, most people didn't graduate from high school. In fact, most of the people in this room... You're probably one of the first people in your family to graduate from college or to get a master's degree. You know, almost 50% of uh, the five-mile population around our church has a master's degree. hundred years ago, what what did everybody have? An eighth-grade education. Because what happened after eighth grade, after that second tier? Most people went into the workforce. Jesus on the beach, he's calling these guys with eighth-grade educations to follow him. And it's the great honor of your life to follow a rabbi. So they leave their dad sitting in the boat and they get to shore to follow Jesus. For three years, they've been following Jesus. Greatest honor of their life. Sacrificing, all—I mean, leaving their career behind while leaving families at home. Following Jesus. And now Jesus says, where I'm going now, you can't come. Jesus, we've given everything. We've sacrificed everything. What do you mean? We've gone with you everywhere. You can't leave us now. What do you mean we can't go? Just tell us where you're going. We can come. (laughs) Thomas, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What's going to hold everything together? You know what Tertullian said? Tertullian was an early church father. All of the opponents of Christianity in those early days when Christianity was so persecuted, Tertullian reminds us that the leaders would look upon the early church and say, Look how they love one another. They're willing to die for one another. It's this new commandment that Jesus gives. These guys, that when he leaves, they did what he said, and they loved one another, and it changed the world. The love of God begins in the church among his people. The world should take notice. But where I'm going, you can't come, so just love one another until it's time. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. And this happens twice for Peter. This is prophetic what Jesus says to him. We're getting into our third bomb here. First bomb, one of you will betray me. Second bomb, where I'm going now, you can't come. What are we supposed to do? We've given up everything. Third bomb. And this prophetic of Peter in two ways. Peter will be crucified in the same way that Jesus was crucified. Although Peter says, tradition tells us. This isn't scripture, but church tradition tells us. Peter says, I don't deserve to be crucified the way my Lord was crucified. So they inverted his cross and turned it upside down. And that's the way he died on the cross. But he also followed Jesus in another way. Death. Death to resurrection, Peter's now with Jesus eternally in heaven, glorified the way that Jesus, the first of many brothers was glorified according to 1 Corinthians 15 it's a lot I know, if you got questions I'll be up here after trying to get through a lot here, verse 37 Peter said to him Lord why can I not follow you now I will and who in the room wouldn't say this We'll get to Thomas in a second, but Peter's like, Lord, we've given everything. You, you, you can't do this. Just a few chapters earlier when all the Jesus is talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, and the crowds are like, oh, that's too much for me. And they all go away. Jesus looks at the 12 and says, are you going to leave me too? And what do they say? We can't leave you. You have the words of life. They've sacrificed everything to be this close to Jesus. As all Christians, what do we want? We want to be close to Jesus. And Jesus now looks at these these guys and says, you can't. And Peter's going, I will. There's no mountain high enough. (laughs) Right? I will swim across the ocean or die trying. There's nowhere you're going. I'm not following. I will lay down my life. How many of you in your Innocent, but foolish youth have prayed that prayer. Jesus probably showed you when I was young. Oh, Jerry, I don't want to do so. I'll follow you anywhere. I've told you before, my prayers have changed over the years. Now I'm just like, Jesus, I want to follow you, but be kind to me and gracious to me. (laughs) (laughs) And very patient, (laughs) because most of the places you leave me now, I don't want to go. Jesus never allows us to stay in our comfort zone. He's always moving us forward into the unknown terrain where faith is necessary. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. I will die for you, Peter says. Jesus answered. Now think about this. And, of course, everybody around the table knows Peter. He's the first to speak. He's the first to jump out there. He's the first to punch somebody in the face. You know, he's that guy. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? And, of course, Peter's going, I just told you I would. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Peter, really? You'd give your life for me? You'd follow me anywhere? Before the sun comes up in the morning, you will publicly reject me. Not once, not twice, but three full times. This guy right now who's claiming I will die for you is going to be cussing out little girls in a matter of hours saying, I don't know who he is. Think about that. Before we're too hard on Peter, think about us and the world we live in right now. See, it's easy to come in here, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Then you get to Starbucks and two guys are blasting Christians for being ignorant and narrow-minded. And all of a sudden, we get real quiet. Just like Peter. The good news is, Peter denies Jesus three times. But through the grace of God, he is restored by Jesus three times by the end of this gospel three huge bombs who's ready to get started now John chapter 14 this is the context one of you's going to betray me and where I'm going now you can't come peter even you are going to deny me three times before the end of the night what is the world's falling apart the foundations are crumbling under their feet. Everything they've known, everything they've given themselves to seems to be more fragile than it's ever been. Can we survive this? How many of you? uh, What a context for God's people today. So much has been built. So much good has been gained. So much blessing has come to foundations. Shaking under our feet. The context for Jesus to say, chapter 14, verse 1 let not your hearts be troubled. Just so you know, Sean Hannity didn't come up with that, <laughs> he ripped that off <laughs> from Jesus. <laughs> Let not your hearts be. Now, back to 13, verse 21. Jesus' heart is troubled. But now he's telling us not to be troubled. Is that that a contradiction? No, it's the point of the gospel in which we believe. We don't have to be troubled because God became flesh and was troubled in our place. We don't have to bear our guilt because God became flesh and bore our guilt in our place. We don't have to feel the weight of shame upon us because God became flesh and bore our shame. We don't have to be punished because it was his back that bore our stripes. God came and did what we could not. He lived the perfect life. He died in our place for our sin. This is the point of the gospel. He did what we could not. So, He takes our trouble that we might not be troubled. Listen, it's easy to look around just our world in general and be full of fear and anxiety. Not to mention all the personal baggage that we carry in this world. Relational issues, marriage issues, family issues, sickness, disease, hurt, pain. There's a lot in this world that just weighs us down. It feels like chains upon us, anchors tied to our waist that we're carrying. But in Christ... There is a new reality. Even in the midst of human perplexion and human suffering, even when the bombs have been dropped and it looks like there's no hope, there's always hope because Christ has come. Let let not your hearts be troubled. How? How can we not? Jesus' next words. Believe in God, believe also in me. The ESV says it this way. Believe in God, believe also in me. You believe in God? Good. Now believe in me. Why? What's the point here? Jesus is God. You believe in God up there? Well, guess what? God is in flesh before you now. Believe in me. Believe that word, pisteo. Over 200 times in the New Testament. It can be translated in some of your Bibles. will say, have faith in me. Have faith in God. Have faith also in me. Translated, uh, believe is also translated trust. You trust in God. Now trust in me. I think that's the NIV. I can't remember which one it is now. Over 200 times. 98 of those times are found right here in John. Faith. Conquers fear. What is the antidote for a troubled heart? Faith in God. Jesus has come. He's done everything that was necessary for you and I to have courage in the face of all that comes before us. It's faith, Jesus says, that moves mountains. I've never met anyone on their deathbed. Now, I've never met a Christian on their deathbed that said, you know what? I think I believed in God a little too much in my life. What do we need in the troubled waters in which we swim today? Faith. We need to believe in God. We need to believe in Jesus. God in flesh. We're fixing to get into Jesus' saying, You've seen God because you've seen me. He and I are one. This is big God stuff. Jesus, this big God came to do everything we cannot. Faith, believe in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. Some of your Bibles will say mansions, dwellings. This word is translated uh, quite a bit. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? and if i go and prepare a place for you i will come again and will take you to myself that where i am you may also you can't go with me now but i promise you i'm going and i'm going to be preparing a place and where i am that you can't go now you will be there because i'm going to come and get you and bring you home to this place i'm preparing for you and this this room that word that's there's a reason it's translated mansion in the king james version this is not a broom closet This is not a monk's cell in some monastery. This is a royal suite. The Lord Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, is preparing a special place in the Father's house for us to enjoy Him in His royalty forever. This is why it seems like bad news, but it's good that I go away, Jesus is going to say in a second. It's where I'm going, I'm preparing a place and I promise I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you and I'm going to bring you to it. Believe in God. Believe in me. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, here we go, ego e me, I am that I am, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Oh, you know the way if you believe in me, because I am the way. Here's what you need to understand about Christianity in 2022. Christianity didn't just start. God's been speaking to His people from the beginning, promising a Christ who came 2,000 years ago, and historic. This is why what church you go to is so important. Historic, orthodox Christianity. What has always been since the advent of Christ, his life, death, burial, and resurrection. Orthodox right thinking about these things. Historic Orthodox Christianity has always been confessional. Think about that word for a second. If you are a Christian, you are to be a confessional Christian. Real Christianity is confessional. Now some of you with Catholic background just said, You know, that corner over there, I think, would be a good corner for the confessional booths. Now, we are confessional in the fact that we confess our sins. We have a confessional prayer where corporately, together, we come before God and confess our corporate sins. Personally, we confess our sins to God and receive forgiveness. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins when we confess our sins. So there is a confessional element in our sinning and His grace. That's not what I mean here. Peter, the one who's going to deny Christ three times this very night, is the first to make the great confession, it's called, in Matthew chapter 16. I won't belabor there because I don't have time. But our love... Uh, vision series sermon. We walk through Matthew 16. He, Peter was the first to say, because Jesus asked the question, who do people say that I am? Well, some say you're this and some say you're that. Any different today? Lots of opinions about Jesus. Then Jesus asks the question, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the great confession. Historic Orthodox is a confessional faith. Believe in God, believe in me, Jesus said. Why? Because Jesus said, I am the way. And by the way, this is uh, elliptical in nature. These are just three descriptive things Jesus is. They, they are, they build upon, I am the way because I am the truth, because I am the life. Here's what I mean by we are a confessional church. Jesus didn't say, I am a way. We live in a world, a melting pot, where relativism, relativism, pluralism rule the day. Anyone who's been in the educational system at any time in the last 20 years, you know how unpopular it has become to be a Christian. When I was a kid, we didn't like Christians because they were goody-two-shoes who never did anything fun. <laughs> Nowadays, people don't like Christians because they think they're so narrow. How can you believe? How can you believe? Because what does the world? What does what does pluralism say? As long it doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you're sincere in what you believe. If the Muslim is sincere in their faith of Allah, that's all God needs. If the if the, the Aztec who worships the sun was sincere, that's all God needs. When Jesus was tempted by Satan, Satan, what did Satan want? Worship me. Just bow a knee to me. I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world. Do you think there's room for just a little Satanism within Christianity? <laughs> that was funny <laughs> and poignant. Because we can be sincere and be wrong. How many of you have experienced it? How many of you had that puppy love sometime in high school? And this is the one. And you sincerely believed it. But you were sincerely wrong. The world says, well, you know, you have your truth. And I have my truth. What's right for you is right for you. What's right for you? No, there is... The way. We are confessional. We have to speak what Jesus... There are a lot of people who say they believe in Jesus, who don't believe in the Jesus of the Bible. Therefore, they are not Christian. You can't make up a Jesus that fits your own purposes. You can't make up a Jesus that allows you to have those those idols in your heart that are okay. Okay. No, there is one way. Jesus is the way. That's what Jesus said to so me. See, you have to, if you're a Christian, to believe in Jesus is to believe who he says he is the way. Only one name under heaven by which men can be saved. So when you get into these conversations, Oh, I love relativists. It's right for you, it's right for you, it's right for me, it's right for me. They just pontificate and they're so smart. And just, so smart, 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 smart. Bow. Why did you do that? That was wrong! Felt right to me. (laughs) My truth is my truth. I can't wait till we get to the Ten Commandments in Exodus. Now the morality of God changed the world and built the West, made society better than it had ever been. It was all on God's commands. You follow God, even if you're a pagan, it works. You follow His commands, it works. makes life better. makes human society grow and flourish. There is a way when you're talking to that person, because Christians, man... Ever since I've been in ministry, 25 years, I've been in ministry. Chris, "Well, we can't, You can't say that. We've got to be more gentle. We've got to be more gracious. We, no, there is truth. There is the way because he is the truth. And if you're not speaking that truth, then you're not loving your neighbor well. God, we've got to be the confessional church because Jesus is God. He is the way. He is the truth. And He is the life. From John chapter 1, the life that was the light of men, we beheld His glory. There is only abundant life now in Christ in this world that will translate into abundant life throughout eternity in His presence. This is who Jesus is. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no Christianity without this confession in who Jesus says that He is. No one comes to the Father except through Me. You would have known My Father. If you had known Me, you would have known My Father also. From now on you do know Him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Show us the Father. You still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus, your Jesus, your Savior, your Lord, He is God. I am this is the purpose of why John writes he wants your faith to come alive and who Jesus, not some fairy tale, mythical, his, uh, you know, non-historical, made-up reality that some Jehovah's You know why Jehovah's Witnesses are called a cult? Well, they look just like the church. They act just like the church. Why are they a cult? Because they don't believe in who Jesus said he was. That's why. They don't believe he's God in flesh. They believe he's a a physical son, a brother of Satan. That's not biblical. That's not confessional. That's not who Jesus says he is. Listen, we live in a world where pluralism has taken its course. And look at the mess we're in. It's time for a return to what is true for all people in all places at all times. There is no salvation unless it's through this Jesus who reveals himself to us. And there needs to be a boldness and a courage and a faith in God, a faith in Jesus and a confession of who he is. There is no other hope. There is no other antidote for a troubled heart. I got six minutes, but there's two more things. Skip down to verse 12 with me. This is why Jesus says, everything changes on this Passover night. Passover itself changes on this night. New covenant. Now we have communion. No more Passover. Now it's my blood and my flesh from here on out until I return. A new commandment. Love one another. Everything changes in Christ Jesus. Even prayer itself changes. Which by the way, let me say this because we have done a poor job communicating an amazing ministry we have here at the church which is our prayer team. Every service, after service, up front, we're going to have elders. If you have theological questions... Or if you want to talk about the church uh, in its practice, in its government, in its finances, you come talk to an elder. There's going to be people behind these two desks. If you want general information, how do I get involved? I'm a visitor. Where's my gift bag? I want my free stuff. I want a free study guide. You go to the person behind the desk. There are anybody else you see up here, both men and women, I think we're working on either some lanyards or some shirts that say prayer. Because listen, if you're a lady and you got a lady issue, you might not want a man elder praying with you. So, we're going to have men and women from our prayer team up here. If you need prayer, come and grab a hold of one of those prayer members and pray for me. Prayer is the most powerful force on the face of the planet. We're scared about nuclear warfare. Prayer is more powerful than an atomic bomb, right? And prayer changes. As God becomes flesh and dwells among us. Jesus says this in verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Let me ask you a question. What if you're... He tells us not, but they're going to do greater works than him. None of them walked on water, though. None of them fed 5,000 people with a sack of lunch and had 12 baskets left over. What does this greater works mean? Jesus is talking to 11 dudes. Eleven people can do more than one person. The church now is in every continent. Almost every civilized... It's in every civilized country. We've got Bibles in languages of every civilized country. There's no stopping the church. There's no stopping the people of God in this world. If we would just get a clue and realize who Jesus is and confess it and in faith live for him... It's happened before. The entire Roman Empire, before it fell to the Visigoths, fell to Christianity. Christianity takes over when God's people believe in who God is. And greater works than these, empires, come tumbling down as Christ is lifted up. I want to see that again in my lifetime. Jesus said, verse 13... Whatever you ask in my name. How does prayer change? Jesus says when you pray now, pray in my name. How can can a mere man say something like that? Well, he's not a mere man. He's God. That's why you can pray in the name of Jesus. That's why we're commanded to pray in his name. Ask it in my name and I will do it. And the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, of course, this gets hijacked. By the name it claim it. Where's my Bentley? I asked for it in Jesus' name. Obviously. Look at verse 15, "If you love me, you will keep my commandments. What Jesus is saying is ask anything within the parameters of what is legitimate according to my teaching. Right, if you say, God, I want to be the new pope of a new religion where everybody serves me in Jesus' name. You just broke every commandment in the Bible in one prayer. Right, James says, you ask and you have not because you ask amiss. But if your heart is after Christ... You want what he wants and you're jealous for him and hungry for him and want to obey his commands. And that's what you're striving to do, obey his commands. Anything you ask will be done in the name of Jesus. How do we know this? Jesus seals these promises with his spirit. Put that slide up. I got 53 minute seconds to talk about this. What I have found, especially in Reformed circles, is people do not have a robust, thorough understanding of the third person of the triune Godhead. In fact, you ask a lot of people, talk to me about the Trinity, they'll say, well, the Trinity is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. <laughs> That's not true. The Bible is God's word, but it is not God. The Holy Spirit is God. Acts chapter 5, when and Ananias and Sapphira are struck dead because they lied. Peter says, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. You've lied to God. Our God is one God, one essence, revealing himself and existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Jesus, where I'm going, you can't go, but don't worry. I'm going to send the helper who's going to seal these promises I've made to you in your hearts and give you the faith to believe that I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. John chapter fourteen and John chapter sixteen are two huge chapters that tell us who this Periclete, this Helper is—God who helps us, who resides in us, who bolsters our faith. Ten things we learn from John fourteen and sixteen, helping us to believe in the way, the truth, and the life. Of Jesus, the Holy Spirit will be with us forever. He will lead us into truth. Who is truth? Jesus is truth. He connects us to the work of the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit power that resides in us connects us to the work of Jesus Christ, in whom we believe, to the glory of the Father, who then glorifies the Son and glorifies us in the Son through the power of the Holy Spirit. Boop, 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 boop. We can make a video game about it. He gives us peace. John 14, 27. Everybody wants peace. The Bible says when the world cries peace and safety, be afraid. The end is near. Jesus says not like the world gives peace do I give peace. Jesus gives peace that lasts. So let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. Verse 27 is a great one to memorize if you're struggling with anxiety or fear. Holy Spirit bears witness to Jesus and helps us do the same. All our lives should be spent, our careers, our families, our efforts, our philanthropy, whatever it is, it should all bear witness to Christ. It's the Holy Spirit power that resides within us that allows us to make much of Jesus in everything we do. The Holy Spirit strengthens our faith in hard times. Right? Maybe right now you're seeing the color green. Praise God for those moments in our lives. But maybe you're in a moment where your hand is touching an empty shelf. In the hard times, the Holy Spirit helps us believe in who Jesus is, placing our hope where it needs to be for us to get through the valley and climb up the mountain to the next mountaintop. That's why Paul commands us to be content because there's going to be ups and downs in life and in hard times the Holy Spirit ministers to us and helps us make it to uh, the next good time. Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Holy Spirit in you is the one when you're, when you're, when sin's over there and you get right up as close to the line to get to it as you can. And I haven't done it yet, but I want to. And right, it's the Holy Spirit that convicts us, don't do that in the negative sense. That's sin. Stay away. Holy Spirit also convicts us of righteousness. Not only are there negative commands, do not lie, there are positive commands, honor your father and mother. It's the Holy Spirit that, that leads us into righteousness, into following God. That's why the Bible says to Christians, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Listen to him as he leads you away from sin and towards holiness, towards Jesus. He convicts of judgment. This thing's going to come to an end and everyone is going to be judged. What is the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord. What's wrong with the world today? They They don't believe in God. They don't fear God which is why they are willing to do whatever they want to do. But it is the Holy Spirit that convicts us of judgment. God is love, but He is also just. And there is a reckoning coming where the wicked will get their due, but those in Christ will receive eternal glory. And it is the Holy Spirit who glorifies Jesus. If anyone ever comes up to you and says what they're doing is through the Holy Spirit and it's not leading to Jesus then that is not the Holy Spirit it is a completely different other spirit the Holy Spirit always glorifies the son who glorifies the Father it is the whole the promise of the Holy Spirit that seals these promises and bolsters our faith in Jesus who is the way and who is the truth and who is the the life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you. I pray in Jesus' name that the faith of your people would increase. Father, like in that great Christmas movie, our hearts are too small. Through the power of your spirit, Father, grow them three sizes through this one sermon. Lord Jesus, may we believe in God. May we believe in Jesus. Not in a Jesus of our own making, but in Jesus, the way. Because he is the truth. Because he is the life. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.